Good morning, church, and Merry Christmas. Would you stand with us as we sing, as we worship the Lord together this morning?
that you sent your son born for us. God, arrest she Mary, gentle
You know, there's no name like the name of Jesus. The angel said, the baby's name will be called Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. He'll remove that which stands between man and God and man can unite with God and become a part of the family of God. You know, the beauty of Christmas and the simple message of Christmas is when we couldn't go to him, he came to us. That's the beauty of Christmas. I want you to take a moment right now in your own way, however you're comfortable. Let's just thank God for sending his son this morning. Would you do that with me? Father, we thank you today for Jesus. We thank you that you loved us so much that when we were at our worst, you sent your very best. That when we could not come to you, you came to us. You sent your son. Bring a message to show us the way of life, to lead us to you. Father, this morning, for every area of life, for the way you work, not just in days gone by, but in every day of our lives, continually being God with us, we thank you today. We give you honor and glory, and we thank you for Jesus. Thank you for your presence in our lives. Amen. Can we give God praise one more time in the building this morning? It is so good to see you at second service here on Christmas Sunday at the bridge. So glad that you are here. It's great to have Bridge Youth with us. They're going to be heading out right now. Give Bridge Youth a hand right now if you would. And as you do that, turn around and greet a few people. Shake some hands. Give some folks a high five. Introduce yourself those around you before you're seated this morning. love this. What an awesome sight seeing all of our youth heading over to Bridge Youth. Can we just give them one more hand? You guys are awesome. Uh, well, welcome to Christmas Sunday at the Bridge. We are so glad all of you are here today. It's just so good being in God's house together. And we just want to take a moment and especially welcome anyone who might be here for the very first time today. If that's you, we're so glad you're here. Thanks for joining us. And we would love to have a chance to meet you. We just want to encourage you to stop by the Info Center out in the lobby before you leave today. We'd love to meet you, answer any questions you might have. And of course, you can always check out our website, thebridgechurch.tv, or download our church app for more information as well. But we're just so glad you're here. For all of us who called the bridge home. Can we give a great warm welcome to our guests today? Great. Well, at this time in our service, we're going to worship God with our giving. And you know, on Christmas Sunday, as we just kind of press pause on the busyness of life and just stop and are reminded of truly the meaning of Christmas and all that it represents. Let's just think about the fact that our Father sent Jesus to this earth in the form of a baby. 
And when he came as a baby, that set into motion God's plan to redeem humanity, to redeem you and me. I've been so grateful for that. Our Father gave us in Jesus the most selfless gift, the most sacrificial gift, the most generous gift, the most extravagant gift possible. So as we give today, can we just follow his example? Let's follow his example in how we give back to him and express our gratitude to him for all that he has done for us. Amen. As the ushers come today to receive this morning's offering, first we're going to check out our church news, and then we have a special treat because our children's choir is coming to sing right after that. Welcome to The Bridge, everyone. My name is Ashley, and we want to thank you for being in church with us this weekend. We hope that you enjoy your time together and that you and your family feel right at home. The Christmas season is truly the most wonderful time of the year, and we want to spend it with you. We hope that you'll be here for everything that's happening in the days ahead. Here's a look at what's coming up at The Bridge. If you are new to the bridge or looking to find out how you can get involved, we invite you to join us at Connecting Point. Maybe you want to make the bridge your home church or find out how you can serve on a team. Connecting Point is your first step. Come and hear the heart, mission, and vision of the bridge church, but most importantly, find out where you fit in. If you'd like to come, it's happening on Sunday, January 5th during the 1130 service. Just sign up at the Info Center before you go today so that we can plan for you. You can also sign up on our website or on the Bridge app. We hope to meet you and help you get connected on Sunday, January 5th at Connecting Point. There is something for everyone here at the Bridge, and we would love for you to get involved. For all the ladies, Bridge Women resumes on Monday, January 27th at 6.30 p.m., followed by regular Tuesday morning gatherings, as well as gatherings on the last Monday evening of each month. For the guys, Bridge Men meets on the second Tuesday night of every month in the Youth Center. There's also a place for all kids and students. Bridge Kids offers a full kids program for your kids, infant through fifth grade, during each of our Sunday morning services. And for all junior high and high school students, Bridge Youth meets on Wednesdays at 6.30 p.m. with Connect Groups gathering during our 11.30 a.m. Sunday service. If you want to build deeper relationships between Sundays, Connect Groups will be relaunching in the month of February with groups designed to be convenient for you and your lifestyle. We hope you'll find your place and get connected here at The Bridge. If you're new to the bridge and you want to find out how to get plugged in, we invite you to stop by the info center after this service. Take a few minutes to come and say hi. Our team is here to help you find your place at the bridge. They can also answer any questions that you might have about the church. For general info, be sure to check out our website, thebridgechurch.tv. You can also download the bridge app. Just text the keywords, the bridge church app to 77977. Thanks again for being in church with us. We love spending Sundays with you.
sins in reply, echoing their joyous strains. Let's give it up for our kids this morning. I think we can do better than that.
Now, I know that nobody's going to listen to anything I say for the next 30 to 45 seconds. So real quick, parents, wave at your kids. Kids, wave back at your parents. And one more time, let's give it up for them this morning. Thank you guys so much. You did good, babe. Oh, to be a kid at Christmas again. Wow, they did a great job. And there's so many of them. We might as well just give them one more hand. Come on. I want to just quickly say thanks to all the parents of all of the kids who were part of our kids' choir because you guys have been here faithfully over the past few Sundays for your kids to be a part of rehearsals and learning the songs and all that good stuff. So thank you so, so much for your participation as well. We're grateful for it. And I know that you've already been welcomed this morning, but I just want to say thanks again also for being here today because today is Christmas Sunday. Today's a very, very special day. And my name is Zach. I'm one of the pastors here at the bridge. And I have the, the honor and the privilege of getting to share on Christmas Sunday with you today. And I'm thrilled to get to be able to do that because I recognize that there's a lot of people here today. That the bridge is your home church, but there's also a lot of people here that you've been invited to be here for Christmas. Maybe you're in from out of town for the Christmas season, or this is just that one time of year that you might come to church. It doesn't matter what category you fit into. I just want to say thanks. We really do count it a privilege to get to host you and have you here at the bridge today. So thank you so, so much for being here. It's going to be an awesome day. I want to invite you this morning. We're going to jump into the Christmas story, but we're going to start first in Isaiah chapter 9. So if you have a Bible and you want to meet me in Isaiah chapter 9, that's where we're going to go. Now, you might have looked up at the screen and wondered, did somebody misspell Christmas? You might be wondering if someone's going to lose their job tomorrow because we misspelled Christmas. Maybe you're wondering, have I been misspelling Christmas all these years and I didn't even know it? It's none of those things. Actually, we have a little bit of fun this morning with the word. Don't worry, Christ is still in there with a capital C. He's the center of Christmas. But this morning, I want to bring a very specific and intentional message to help illustrate one simple thought. Christmas is all about Christ, but Christmas is all about us. I'll say that again. Christmas is all about Christ, but Christmas is also all about us. Now, for many of us who are traditional, church-going, Bible-believing Christians, we would say, well, of course, Christmas is all about Christ, but you might be wondering, how exactly is it all about us? Or maybe you don't find yourself in a faith or belief camp, and you're here this morning, and you're like, well, I understand that Christmas is all about us and sharing that time together, but you're not quite sure how Christ or how Jesus fits into the picture and fits into the story. I want to take some time to talk about that today and kind of bring those two things together. And if you were here last week, we had our, our annual Christmas production last Sunday morning. And the way that the morning started was with a reading from Isaiah chapter 9. And part of the production, there's like an impromptu interruption that happens. And so we didn't exactly finish talking about that passage of Scripture. But it's where I want to begin this morning because I think it's important that we go back and not just look at the key figures that we know in the Christmas story, but that we go back and we look historically at how this story began. You know, for a lot of us, when we think about Christmas, there are a lot of things that we will automatically think of. Maybe you're here today and the first thing that you think of is your Christmas tree, the lights, the carols, all the goodies that you're going to consume over these next few days, the gifts that you will give and receive, and all of those things are wonderful. But we need to keep Christ at the center of Christmas because Christmas is all about Jesus. 
And this morning I want to talk to you about Jesus, but also how we fit in to that picture. And even preparing for this day, one of the things that a pastor struggles with is when you get to Christmas or you get to Easter, you think about the amazing story of God entering into humanity and bringing about a solution for our sinfulness and our brokenness. And you think, how can I come up with a new twist or a new plot or shed some sort of new light on this old story? But can I tell you what I've learned over the years? is that there's nothing I can say to make the greatest story ever told any greater. The greatest story that was ever told is found at Christmas, the fact that God saw us where we are and sent Jesus to come down and save us from our sins. Is there anybody here this morning that's grateful that Jesus came and that God sent him for us? So I want to start this morning 700 years before Jesus was born. 700, approximately 700 years before Jesus was born, there was a man named Isaiah. We would know him as the prophet Isaiah from the Bible. Isaiah was a righteous, upright man who chose to live his life and walk in the ways of God. And God used him. God spoke through him. God gave him dreams and visions and words that he would speak. And those words would be recorded for people who chose to follow God. And in going back and looking at the, uh, the story of Isaiah, it's so incredibly important that we understand the context of the words of Isaiah. At the time at which Isaiah was alive, again, 700 years before Jesus was born, Isaiah lived in Judah. That was the southern part of the nation of Israel. And in those days, the nation of Israel was divided into two kingdoms. You had Israel in the north and Judah in the south. And there's a whole long story of how that ended up happening. We won't get into all that, but that was the reality of the day. But they lived in a time of fear and turmoil where they were always worried about what was going on around them. And there were a couple of reasons for that. In the days of the prophet Isaiah, we see that the Assyrian Empire was nearby and they were beginning to go and conquer the surrounding territories. And so the nation of Israel as a whole were always fearful that Assyria was coming for them next. But all of the fear and all of the tumult that they lived in was all symptomatic of an internal condition. Isaiah wrote about how these people, the Israelites, had walked away from their first true love. They had not chosen to live their lives according to God's ordinances, his laws, and his commands. They had chosen not to be obedient. So as a result, what happened in the days of Isaiah was God's hand of blessing had pulled back from the nation of Israel, and God spoke through Isaiah time and again, and he said, listen, if you don't change your ways, if you don't repent, if you don't choose to walk according to my commandments and my law, my hand of blessing will pull back and judgment will come upon your nation. Now that was the context of the day. But the people of Isaiah's day in Israel, they lived in all kinds of fear in turmoil. There was economic turmoil. There was social turmoil. There was religious turmoil. And they were fearful that they would soon be conquered. Now, all of these things aren't the same, but I would say that we know today what it's like to live in uncertain times. Some of the stories of the times of Isaiah aren't a whole lot different than the day in which we live today. And so Isaiah would get these revelations. In most of his book, we see that he had dreams and visions. And he would receive these revelations from God, and he would begin to speak about it. And he would tell people, change your ways, or judgment is coming. Change your ways, or judgment is coming. And then all of the sudden, he gets a new revelation. And in the middle of all of his warnings, he speaks these words from Isaiah chapter 9. It says in verse 6 of Isaiah 9, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder, and his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, 
everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. Upon the throne of David and over his kingdom, to order it and establish it with judgment and justice from that time forward, even forever. And the zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. Now today, here we are from the time of Isaiah, 27 plus hundred years later, we stand here today. And for those of us who are Christians, we look at this passage of Scripture and identify that Isaiah was giving us a promise or a prophecy about the Messiah who would come to us. And we know all of that in hindsight. But what we don't know is what exactly did Isaiah see when he got that revelation? Did he know about the nativity scene, as we would call it? Did did he know about the manger? Did he know about all the circumstances and the details that would surround Mary and Joseph, the virgin birth, this very, very pregnant woman coming to Bethlehem to participate in a census with her husband? Did he know about the wise men? Did he know about the shepherds? Not only that, did he look ahead to today and know that we, in 21st century America, would celebrate Christmas with Christmas trees and Christmas carols and Christmas lights and the exchanging of gifts? What did he know? We don't exactly know, but what we do know is that this prophecy and this promise came right dead in the middle of very tumultuous times. And the reason why that stands out to me is because this promise of a coming Messiah came in a day and age in which Isaiah the prophet, who walked uprightly before God, would have received that promise and said, wait, unto us a child is born? Unto us a son is given? Wait, wait, wait. What have we done, God, to be worthy of this promise? What have we done, God, to be worthy of this prophecy? God, you have showed me over and over again that we are a disobedient, sinful nation. Why would we possibly be worthy of you intervening in our circumstances? And I find myself putting myself in the shoes of Isaiah and asking that question even today. God, what did I ever do to be worthy of your entrance into my life? Can I tell you something this morning? There is nothing that any of us have ever done to be worthy of God's love, grace, and mercy. But it doesn't talk, when we see the entrance of Jesus into our life, that doesn't talk about our goodness. It talks about God's goodness. He loved us so much that he would enter our broken, sinful picture so that we can be put back together again. And that was the context within which Isaiah would have received that promise and that prophecy. And you have to understand that. Now, going forward, it's also important that we recognize that he didn't know what life would look like for us today because we read this in hindsight. But now I want to jump forward about 700 years, and now I want to look at the Christmas story and understand how all of this comes together, that Christmas is all about Christ and Christmas is all about us. We see in Luke chapter 2, the second part, or the next part of the Christmas story. This is one that you'll be very, very familiar with. Luke chapter 2, starting in verse 8. It says, Now there were in the same country shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were greatly afraid. So you have to picture these shepherds. It's It's quiet outside, it's dark outside, it's probably cold outside, and suddenly the angel of the Lord appears, and it's not just an angel, but the glory of the Lord surrounds this angel and these shepherds. Verse 10, then the angel said to them, do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all 
people. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign to you. You will find a babe wrapped in swaddling cloths, lying in a manger. Verse 13 says, And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts, or you could say even more angels, a great multitude of the heavenly hosts, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. So it was when the angels had gone away from them into heaven, and the shepherds said to one another, Let us now go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has come to pass, which the Lord has made known to us. And they came with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. And finally, verse 17, Now when they had seen him, they made widely known the saying which was told them concerning this child. Now, if you're like me and you've been in church a long time and you know the Christmas story from the Bible, this is something that we look at and say, yes, I know all of this. But if I'm really honest, I have to say that as well as I know the Christmas story, I know it so well that I sometimes become very familiar with it and I forget about the significance of what God did when he sent these angels to visit these shepherds. Because what's really amazing about this is that you have to understand, this isn't just good news that the Son of God has been born. This is great news. In fact, it's not just great news. This is the best news of all time. The Savior of the world has been sent to humanity. And what, that's right, we can applaud for that. But what's so amazing about it is who the news was sent to. Because these shepherds sat out in their field. Now, the shepherds were kind of the lowest part of Jewish society in those days. And we'll talk more about that in just a moment. But it's amazing that God would send, to choose, send, them, send the angels to them to deliver that message. And there are so many people that God could have chosen to send that information to first. I mean, let's think about it. This is some really important information, right? You're talking about a whole nation worth of people who would have been believing that at some point the Messiah is going to come. So if this is the newborn king of the Jews who was coming, surely God would have sent the angels to the king and he would have found out first. But he didn't do that. Well, surely he would have sent the angels to the priest because the priest would know the scriptures and they would be preparing for this day. But he didn't do that. Okay, so surely God would have sent angels to the scribes and to the Pharisees and the most religious people of the day to deliver this information, right? No, he didn't do that. Who did he send it to first? Shepherds. The lowest the lowest common denominator of society in those days. And I think the message that we get from that loud and clear is it doesn't matter who you are in society. You might feel as though you are the lowest of the low. You might feel like the downtrodden, the outcast, or a second-class citizen. Can I tell you something? Jesus came for you. It doesn't matter who you are in society. Jesus came to meet the lowest of society right where they are. Now, I want to take this a bit further, and if you're kind of a Bible nerd, walk with me for a minute here, because I want to show you something really cool. And even if you're not, I think this will speak to you where you are, okay? The angels said some really interesting words to the shepherds. The angels spoke to the shepherds, and they said, Behold, we bring you good tidings. Everybody say tidings. Good tidings of great joy. That word tidings is a funny word, because I have to be really honest with you. I don't think in... All of the years that I've been walking this planet, I've ever used the word tidings in a sentence. I don't think I've ever had anybody walk up to me and in a casual, ordinary, normal conversation, they have used the word 
tidings in a sentence. It's not a regular word that we use very often. But this English word tidings is something that the angels say they are bringing to these shepherds. Now let me unpack this for you and show this to you because this is really cool and I hope everybody listens to this and grabs it. That word tidings in its English definition simply means news, information, or intelligence. We bring you good news. The Savior has been born. We bring you good information. The Savior has been born. But the word in there in that definition that I like the most, we bring you good intelligence. The Savior of the world, the Son of God has been born. Here's why I like that. How many of you have seen a movie with like the FBI or the CIA and one of those officers is like, I want to see that agent's file right now on my desk. I'm sorry, sir. You don't have security clearance. That's top secret. We can't show it to you. We can't give you that intelligence. You're not cleared for that intelligence. Can I just tell you something? The shepherds were not cleared for this bombshell that the angels were about to drop on them because this intelligence was pretty heavy. We would assume it would go to the king first or the priests or the scribes or the Pharisees, but instead God chooses to take this news, this information, this intel and drop it on these shepherds at night while they're with their, their, their sheep out in the field. What an amazing picture that is. But that's not all. Watch this. If you look at that word, tidings, in the original writings, in the Greek, the word that we see there is the word euangelizo. The root word there is euangelites. That word is, from, is the word from which we get our English word evangel, evangelize, evangelism. Okay? Now, that's not the significant part. That same word, euangelites, gets translated throughout the New Testament as the word gospel. Here's the point. The angels arrived that night with this intel, with this information, this news, and what they said was, Behold, unto you we bring the gospel, that God is here for the ordinary, average, everyday, common man. He didn't just come for the elite and the highest part of society. He came for you who feel like you are the bottom of the barrel. And can I just tell you this morning, I'm so grateful that God saw me where I was when he sent Jesus because I didn't need Jesus to come up to me. I needed Jesus to come down to where I was. And I'm grateful that he did that. And this announcement to the shepherds proves that Jesus would be familiar with the plight of the lowest person in society throughout the rest of his life. And if you look at the circumstances under which Jesus was born, to be born in a stable, in a manger, there's nobody who could ever say that Jesus didn't understand what they've walked through in life. Because let me tell you something, Jesus didn't walk into high society. Jesus came for the lowest of the low, and the announcement was brought to them first. That's who our God is. You can only imagine the shepherds saying, Behold, you bring us unto us. Good tidings of great joy. What have we done to deserve this? Don't you know? Are you sure you got the wrong place? Surely you meant the palace. Surely you meant the temple. And they said, no, we meant to bring it to you here in the field first. Why? Because the gospel isn't just for the highest. The gospel meets us at our lowest point, no matter who we are. I have a friend here in the church that has become a very special friend to me. He's a retired pastor and a retired college professor, Bible college president. His name's Chuck. And Chuck writes regularly on his reflections and his observations and just from his experience. And I've, I love this guy and his wisdom and the stuff that he sends me. I just devour it. He writes a regular newsletter. And this week he wrote something that just caught my eye. And I asked for permission to read this to you this morning. And I want to read something that Chuck Boatman wrote last week. He wrote these words about the story of the shepherds. He says, Luke tells us that the angel's announcement 
excuse me, Luke tells us of the, an angel's, the angel's announcement to the shepherds. On the night of Jesus' birth, in the sky above Bethlehem's fields, angels invited these down-and-outers of Jewish society to come and see the Savior. They would have been unwelcome at any high society gathering because they spent their lives surrounded by livestock, and they probably smelled like it. I grew up in the city. The closest my siblings and I got to animals was the family dog who got a regular bath and smelled pretty good, at least as dogs go. And there was a goldfish or two also, but they were always taking a bath. So I was in for a shock when years later, in my first ministry, I began spending my time among farm people. I discovered that farm animals smell, especially when grouped together in large numbers in close quarters. In that rural ministry, I also discovered that a livestock farmer might occasionally carry with him a bit of that smell, and even when practicing, good hygiene. When those shepherds came into town that night, they undoubtedly brought the fragrance of their livestock with them. And the angel didn't tell them to clean up and get presentable before they could gain access to the Savior. The shepherds didn't know any better than to take the angel at his word when he invited them to come and worship Jesus. And finally, he concludes, shepherds are welcome, and aren't we all shepherds in one way or another? When I read that this week, I was reminded of the state of my life and the condition of my life when God accepted me. I'm going to talk more about that in just a few minutes. God didn't mind the stench of my brokenness. And he didn't mind the stench of my sinfulness. He accepted me as I was, knowing that he had better plans for me. I'm grateful for a God who accepted me at my lowest point. Is anybody else grateful for that? I want to move on to the next picture that we see in the story of Christmas. Because it's an exact opposite picture of who these shepherds were. I imagine those shepherds, unto us? The son has been given. Are you sure you got the right address? You're sure you're in the right place? Shepherds didn't feel worthy. But then the other picture we see is of these people that we refer to as the wise men. Wise men are an interesting group because there's so much mystery wrapped up in who these people really were. And let me just give you a few things to think about real quick. Oftentimes we'll talk about the three wise men. The Bible doesn't say how many wise men there were, but sometimes we think three because they brought three kinds of gifts with them. So sometimes that um, assumption is made. We really don't know. We don't exactly know where they came from when Scripture says that these wise men from the east came. We're not really sure. There's a little bit of Old Testament history that tells us they could have been around the time of Daniel, but we don't know all the details of exactly who they were. But their story is very interesting because it is totally opposite, like I said, of that of the shepherds. And I want to read a short passage that talks a little bit about these wise men who came to see Jesus. It says in Matthew chapter 2 and verse 1, now after Jesus was born. Now remember the shepherds came born unto you this day. They went to see Jesus when Jesus was born. But the shepherd, or excuse me, the wise men came after Jesus had been born. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem saying, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? Now, watch this, because this is where it gets really interesting, okay? For we have seen his star in the east. We have seen his star in the east and have come 
to worship him. Now, you just take this on face value, and immediately there's a whole bunch of questions that pop up, okay? How did the wise men know that the star was his star, the star of Christ or the star of Jesus? We don't completely know. The Bible doesn't give us all of those details. How did they know that Jesus had even been born? We don't see anything about an angelic visitation. Perhaps the shepherds had spread the word so quickly that by the time the wise men heard it after Jesus was born, they came and the word had already gotten out. We don't really know how they knew that Jesus had been born. It says that they came to worship Jesus. Does this mean that these wise men were actually Jews and were God, or, or were they God-fearing Gentiles? We don't know. We just know that they were wise men from the east. And I'm saying all of this to set up this mystery that surrounds it. In fact, a side note here is that when we see the word wise men, that's just kind of the conclusion that was drawn by Bible translators because the original word here is magus, which uh, plural is magi. Okay, And what we know about the magi is that they were educated, learned men. They were more high society people. And we see all of these questions and mysteries. There is so much mystery and so much intrigue surrounding the arrival of the wise men and how they got to Bethlehem. But in spite of all the things we don't know about them, there is one very clear truth that we see. God has his ways of getting our attention and drawing us to himself even when we don't see how he's doing it. God is amazing at the way he'll get our attention to draw our eyes and our attention to him because he has something that he wants to tell us and something that he wants to show us. And these wise men, these magi, these were people, if you look and study this out in scripture, what we do know about them is that they were very learned, very educated men. They would have probably been advisors to kings and other parts of the world. The things they would have been educated in most likely were astronomy and astrology, things that they would have been very familiar with. And these were men who would have looked out in the stars after, through their education. They would have looked up at the stars and thought, wow, this magnificent puzzle that God has created, where do we fit in? Where does my piece fit into this puzzle? Is there purpose? Is there meaning in this life? And through their studies, they would have searched and wondered exactly where it was that they fit into this big plan that God had. But suddenly they see a star. We'll come back to that in just a moment. Skip down to verse 9. When they heard the king, so this is talking about them going to visit King Herod to find out where is this newborn king of the Jews. Because if a king is going to be born, where do you go looking? At the palace, surely. But they find out when they meet Herod at the palace that the newborn king they're looking for isn't there. When they heard the king, they departed. And behold, the star which, which they had seen in the east went before them till it came and stood over where the young child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceedingly great joy. And when they had come into the house, they saw the young child and Mary his mother and fell down and worshiped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented gifts to him, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Here's the point I want to make to you in reading the rest of that passage of scripture. Scripture tells us that these wise men saw the star in the east and simply began following the star. Now again, we don't know how they knew that this was his star, the star of Christ. They simply stepped out in faith and said, we're going to follow that star. And what I love about this passage is, like I said, they arrive in Bethlehem and they go straight to the king's palace. Where is it that we can find this newborn king of the Jews? Is this the place? And then they're disappointed to find out that this newborn baby isn't there. 
And Herod tells him, well, when you find out, you know, come back and tell me because i got a plan for that little baby, and that's not where we're going to go today. But they walk out, and they're disappointed because this thing that they've traveled for suddenly isn't there. But Scripture says as soon as they leave the king's presence, they walk out, and suddenly there's the star. And they continue to follow the star until Scripture says the star stood over the house where Jesus was. The picture that I see here when I watch this was that these wise men simply stepped out in faith, believing that that star was leading them somewhere. And when they hit a dead end and felt disappointment, thinking we're never going to find it, suddenly they see the star again. And the Bible says they, they rejoice with great joy. And then that star came, moved in, and stood above where Jesus was. See, God will meet us right where we're at in the middle of our journey if we will continue to search after Jesus with all of our hearts. And a lot of us find ourselves in situations and places where we feel like God is distant. We feel like maybe we are a lost cause and we are lost and we're meaningless in this life. But can I tell you, if you will step out in faith believing that that call, that that voice that you're listening to is taking you somewhere, God will meet you right where you are because he loves you, he cares about you, and he sees you right in the middle of your search. Is there anybody that's grateful for that this morning? God responds to faith. It took faith for the wise men to follow that star, not exactly knowing where it was leading them. You know, finally, one of the conclusions that I see when I look at these wise men is I can only imagine that as they searched and they searched, and then finally that star stood over that house, as Scripture says, that house. We don't know if they were still in a stable or if they were now in a house or exactly where they were. But I have to think that they thought this is an act of God. We have stepped out in faith and suddenly he's revealed himself to us. And we have to know that God will meet us where we are in our journey if we will search for him and look for him. And just like the shepherds who were the lowest of society, the same message applied to these wise men. For unto them a child was born. Unto them a son was given. And if they would search for him, they would find him when they searched with all of their heart. And I have to believe, or I often wonder, if perhaps these wise men knew a little bit of the Old Testament scripture. Because if they knew some of it, it might have put the pieces together for them. This is what it says in Jeremiah 29, 12 and 13. Then you will call upon me and go and pray to me, and I will listen to you. And you will seek me and find me when you search with me, search for me with all of your heart. And Jesus, that newborn baby, later on in his ministry, said these words in Matthew chapter 7 and verse 7. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. And everyone who seeks, finds. And to him who knocks, it will be opened. I want to tell you today that if you've come into this place seeking and asking and knocking, God, are you real? God, are you there? Is there meaning to this life? Is there redemption to this life? Can you put the broken pieces of my life back together? I want you to know that God is here today to meet you right where you are because he has a better plan for you than you have for yourself. And it all started 2,000 years ago when Jesus came into this world. Now, in closing, I want to just give you something interesting to think about. Because like I said, I'm a kind of a church kid. I'm a pastor's kid. You grow up in church. You know these stories forever. And they become so familiar to you that you just start to sometimes lose the significance of them. And over the course of this past month when I was doing some study just to get ready for this day, there was something really interesting that stood out to me. And maybe you've thought about this before, but it, I never gave it any thought. 
Scripture tells us that the shepherds were out on their field and they get this supernatural, angelic visitation that announces the birth of the Savior of the world. So the shepherds get the angelic visitation. But then we have the wise men who get a star. Notice the shepherds didn't get a star and the wise men didn't get an angelic visitation. What does that mean to us exactly? Well, first of all, these shepherds must have felt like they were always the last to know anything. The down and outers, the lowest part of society. And as they sat out there in their fields, can you imagine the humility that came over them when those angels appeared and they said, you brought this news to us? Because see, God knows exactly where to find you when there's a message that he needs to bring you. And I see that picture with these shepherds and it blows me away. But then the opposite is true when we look at the wise men. The wise men didn't get an angelic visitation. It would have been an amazing thing to be out in the field and suddenly an angel appears and then the heavenly host and you're surrounded by the glory of God. What an amazing supernatural experience that the shepherds got. But the wise men didn't get it. What did they get? A star. Why did they get a star? Because they were astronomers and astrologers who night after night looked up into the night sky, wondering, searching, asking, God, are you out there? And where do I fit into this puzzle of creation? What's the meaning and the purpose of all this? Because it all looks so broken. Is there any sort of plan for the redemption of this thing? And the picture of the wise men and the star tells us that God knew exactly what they needed to see in order to get their attention. Can I tell you today one more time that if you are here today and you are searching and you are looking and you are seeking and you're asking, God, where are you in all of this and how do I fit into it? God wants to meet you right where you are, answer those questions, and walk you into the plan that he has for your life. That's who he is. And it's not about anything that we've done to deserve it. It's all about how good he is to give it to us. So just to land this thing this morning, I have to think about my own life. And for a lot of you who are regulars here at the bridge, you've heard me talk about my testimony and my story some and some of the things that I've been through in my life. When I was 23, I was lost and broken. (laughs) I was a mess, a big mess, like a lot of us at 23, I'm sure. Sorry if you're 23, by the way. (laughs) There's better days ahead. Just kidding. But I was 23. I was a big mess. And I had kind of reached a point where I didn't want to go to church. I'd seen a lot of bad things happen in family and life and even in church. And I just thought, you know what? I'm done with this. I don't care. God, I believe. I know that you have a plan for my life. But if it involves going to church and being a part of that, no thanks. And I grew up in Corona. And I had moved out here to the Temecula Valley, and I remember my parents saying, you should just come to church, just come check it out, see if you make some friends, just hang out, you'll at least build some community. That was kind of the approach, I think. And eventually I did, but what I want to tell you is, I'll never forget the first day that I came to church. It was this church, and it wasn't here at this building, this was before this building was built, it was in our old building on Inez, over by the mall. And I walked in that day, and after church, I sat through the whole service, and to this day, I couldn't even tell you who it was that said this to me. I literally don't know. I remember after service, my dad was introducing me to some people that I didn't never met before, and he introduced me to one person, and he told me their name, and he said, I want you to meet my son, Zach. And he said, Zach? And I said, yeah. And he says, is your full name Zachary? And I said, yes. And he says, Zachary, the Lord remembers. 
That's what my name means. And I remember when I was a little kid, I had a plaque that hung on the wall over my bed, and it said, Zachary, the Lord remembers. And I spent five, six years of my life thinking that God had forgotten about me. And suddenly all it took was one encounter with one person with one encouraging word to say, God hasn't forgotten about you. He knows exactly where you are. Can I tell you something? My life has never been the same since that day because it wasn't just about what that person said. It was about the fact that God loved me that much to remind me. You might be here today, and I know that we've talked about searching and looking and seeking, but you might be here today and feel like you are so lost and out of the picture of God, so far from his sight that how could he possibly care about what's going on? Can I tell you something? God cares more about your life than you can even imagine. He cares about all the details. He cares about all of your dreams because he gave them to you. He wants to restore your broken dreams. He wants to put together all of those pieces that have been broken and walk you into a better life than you've ever known before. So many of us live in regret of what could have been. But can I tell you something? You walk into a relationship with Jesus and you'll be inspired to find out what is to come. And I tell you that story today because just like the shepherds, just like the wise men, God met me where I was and told me what I needed to hear. And my life's never been the same since. You might be here today. You're a regular You've become familiar with the Christmas story. I hope during the time that we've been here that you'll stop and be humbled once more that Jesus would come for you, that God would see you in the middle of your situation. You might be far from God today and you look back at your life and say, there was a time in my life I had a relationship with God, but as you've walked in the doors of this place just because it's Christmas Sunday, you know that you're distant from him. Can I tell you something? God hasn't forgotten about you. He knows you, he remembers you. He cares about you. He loves you. And he's still got good plans for you no matter what you've done. You also might be here today and you've never made a decision to put your faith in God. You might be here today and if we ask the faith question, the belief question, you might say, I'm not really sure where I'm at with all that. Can I tell you something? Set religion, religion aside and understand that there's a God who loves you so much that he wants to have a relationship with you. We pray a prayer every single week here at the bridge. It can feel routine to a lot of us, but can I tell you something? There's something incredibly significant about praying a prayer and inviting God to come into your life. If you're here today and you've never done that, I want to give you an opportunity to do it. We're not going to embarrass you. We're just going to pray it all together here in a moment. If you're here today and you need to recommit your life to God because you know deep down in here that's the next step you need to take, I want to invite you to join in. And if you're here today and you need to be reminded of the significance of this season, I want to invite you to join in as well. Jesus didn't just come to be born and to live. Jesus was born to die and then to raise again. He died the death that we deserve for our sins. He went to the cross and took our punishment upon his back so that our lives could be put together. We could experience redemption and salvation and know what it is to have a relationship with God in this life and into eternity. If you're here today and you need to get in that relationship with God, I want to invite you to pray this prayer with us. Would you just bow your heads? all across this place. I know there's a lot of guests here. Would you guys do me a big favor and just hang tight till the end of service. We're gonna be done here in just a couple of minutes. But out of respect for those around you, we're gonna pray a prayer together. I wanna wanna invite everybody just to join in, repeat these words right after me. Say, Jesus, thank you for coming to this earth for me. I believe in you. 
I believe that you were born. I believe that you died for me. I believe that you rose again so that I could be raised to life with you. Today I choose you as my Savior and I invite you to become the Lord of my life. From this day forward, I will walk with you. I will learn your ways and I will never be the same. Thank you for loving me and accepting me just as I am. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Like I told you, we're going to be done here in just a couple of minutes, so please hang tight till the end of service. I'd appreciate it out of respect for everybody here because this is really important. If you made a decision to commit your life to Christ or recommit your life to Christ today, we just want to help you take your next step. We don't need anything from you. We just want to make ourselves available to help. Right after this service, there's going to be some prayer teams right down front, and there's something that we would love to give you. It's a simple book, a gift. It's called The Next Seven Days. It's a small book that will help you start your walk with God and take your next few steps. You might be a little bit shy and you say, I don't want to go up and talk to anybody. If you need to get out of here quick, that's fine. I would invite you, please, quickly stop by the Next Seven Days desk. It's between the glass doors. Before you go, let them know you made a decision to follow Jesus. You prayed that prayer. They'll give you the book. We don't need anything from you, but we're here to help in any way that we can. Also, if you do need someone to pray with you, whether you made that decision today or not, if you're looking for prayer, you want someone to stand with you and encourage you, that's why our prayer teams are here after service. I'd invite you to come down and let one of our prayer teams pray with you. Thank you so, so much for making that decision. The best decision you can ever make in life is choosing to follow Jesus. Can we put our hands together and welcome some people into the family today? Awesome. Give Zach a good hand for that message today. Thank you, Zach. Just before we go today, I wanted to share a couple things real quickly. First of all, this is the Christmas season. And, you know, last week we had a really fun production. Uh, today we've had a very sincere message about the gospel and the coming of Jesus. Tuesday night or Tuesday evening, we have... Christmas Eve services here at the bridge, and they are very, very special. If you've never been to one of these, I promise you, it's different than anything else that we do. It's a special night. We sing a lot of Christmas carols. We read the Christmas story. We set up a living room right here on the platform, and it's really, really a great, great time. God shows up in a big way. Tuesday afternoon at 4 o'clock, Tuesday evening at 6 o'clock, Christmas Eve services. We invite you to come join us. Work it into your schedule. It'll be a great, great time, and you'll always remember it. And then Thursday, uh, some of you will get this as good news. Some of you won't even understand it, and that's okay. Uh, Thursday, our construction project, which has been going on for a long time in different parts of our church, is going to be moving here into the auditorium. So beginning this week throughout a lot of January, we're going to have some construction going on. Don't worry about it. We'll have room for everybody. We'll keep you posted as to what's going on. The truth is we're getting ready to re-carpet our auditorium. And in order to do that, especially up on top, if you look around, in order to re-carpet the building, that means the seats all have to come up one section at a time. So we're going to be working with the contractors to get all of this done some of you are already wondering, are we going to get more of this carpet? We were going to, but Pachanga already bought all of it. So we're going to go with something a little bit different this time around. <laughs> uh, it, it'll look a little bit different here over the next month. Um, 
So please, if you want a piece of this, come around the next few days. We will be selling it uh, along with the holy water from the Jordan River, okay? <laughs> I'm just kidding. For those of you who are unchurched, I'm just, just being funny here for a second. So construction will be going on for the next few weeks, but don't worry about it. We'll have plenty of seats available week by week. And then finally, next Sunday is the last Sunday of the year. God has put some things in my heart that I am so anxious to share with you. So a good way to close one year, a good way to begin another year. I'm going to be sharing that next week. So I want to say today in closing, God bless you. We love you. Merry Christmas to everybody. Have a great, great week, and we'll see you Tuesday. Joy to the world, the Lord is come. Let earth receive her King. Let free heart prepare Him room. Heaven and nature sing. Heaven and nature sing. In heaven and her.